Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 76 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. we got a great show for you today. Have a guest coming on in just a little bit that we'll introduce. But, of course, we have to talk about the Frozen Four, the absolute insanity that that was, the end of that game. Quinnipiac now national champions. Of course, Adam Fantilli winning the Hobie Baker and we're going to turn our attention to a lot of these prospects from college that are moving on, uh, guys that are signing, guys that are deciding not to sign. And then also we, we've got a lot to talk about in terms of the WHL with Connor Bedard. His season is over. Macklin Celebrini putting together one of the most historic seasons ever. And in just a few minutes, I'll be bringing on Matt Moran, who has been on a guest, a guest on this podcast before. Um and a guy that's just kind of plugged in and has been in the scouting world and also, you know, has real good familiarity with both Major Junior and Junior A here in the United States. So uh, really excited to have him on. But before we get to that conversation with Matt, uh, I just want to remind you, you can follow this podcast in a variety of new ways. If you haven't yet, you can always check us out on YouTube and also flowhockey.tv, available on the Flow Sports app as well. Uh, you can watch every single episode of this podcast since I've been at Flow um, right there. And then also, as always, if you prefer to listen in the audio format, if you don't want to look at my face, that's totally fine. You can also download the podcast wherever you get your podcast, and make sure when you do that, you leave a kind rating and review to help us continue to grow the audience of this podcast and make sure everybody's happy and uh, keeping me kind of uh, in the mix here and employed and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, if you like me, I guess go ahead and do that. That probably would be really helpful. Uh, but yeah, and, and on top of that, we are very, very close to the ECHL playoffs. The Kelly Cup is on the line very soon. We're in the last week of the regular season as we record this. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to Flow Hockey. Subscribe to the podcast too, but subscribe to Flow Hockey and make sure you don't miss a second of the action of the Kelly Cup playoffs. Also, the USHL, their regular season is wrapping up very soon. The Clark Cup playoffs will be begin beginning there in a couple of weeks, and we will have tons and tons of coverage all over flow hockey of both the ECHL and USHL playoffs. Do not miss any of it and make sure you are subscribed because there are going to be tons of great games available to you to watch. So can't wait to get more into that, but that's the sales pitch. Now let's actually get into a little bit more of the podcast. Really excited 
to have on for uh, a repeat guest from the pre-flow days. If you were a fan of Talking Hockey Sense, you know this guest very well. His name is Matt Moran. He is a former scout with a number of junior teams, including the Windsor Spitfires and Sioux Greyhounds in the OHL, the Chicago Steel and the Tri-City Storm in the USHL, and a guy that just kind of knows the game well enough to hold many, many conversations with me. So, ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Matt Moran, our new guest on the podcast. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen, looking beautiful as always. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to be back. Yeah, well, you're looking good. And if you're if you're watching on video, you know, I can't say it enough. Love the hat he's got going there. He's got Uncle Pennybags behind him um, on the ones and twos as well. So very, very nice. Uh, hopefully that paints a picture for those of you listening to the podcast. But Matt, we've got a lot to get to. And and since you and I have these conversations pretty much daily about hockey and, and everything else, and, and we really enjoy getting into it and mixing it up a little bit, we're going to start with the Frozen Four and the incredible finish that, you know, the Quinnipiac Bobcats win their first ever uh, national championship. They were down two to one late in the game. Rand Pecknold pulls the goaltender with a power play, you know, kind of a dangerous move, and it really burned him last year at the uh, NCAA tournament, but apparently good thing he didn't learn his lesson because right after that power play ended, they score the game-tying goal. Colin Graff gets that, and then 10 seconds into overtime, it would have been eight seconds if they didn't run two seconds off the clock for a bad face-off uh, right off the outset, uh, but 10 seconds into overtime, the Bobcats win it all. I mean... As, as we were watching that, I mean, we were kind of going back and forth a little bit about just how, how crazy that game was. But beating Minnesota, one of the Blue Bloods of college hockey, it's their third chance to get there. Quinnipiac wins the national championship. Any thoughts on, on that just in, insane finish to the season? It was, a, it was an awesome it was an awesome entire tournament. Um, insane finish, probably an understatement. Um, I mean, just huge brass ones on Rand to pull the goalie. With that much time left, he's known for that, right? I mean, he's talked about yep, it openly. He is. They, I, sure. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it sooner, um, and they kind of talked him out of it. But um, you know, good on them. Amazing set play that he gave a bunch of credit for to Joe Dume. I think is the guy that drew yep. that one up, and Joe um, Dume, yep. you know, kind of gave him the green light to to execute on that, and an amazing goal. But you know, not to take anything away from what Quinnipiac did, but how in the world is the best line in college hockey? plus Brock Faber on the bench to start overtime in a winner-take-all golden goal, um, you know, for Minnesota. Not to say they maybe got caught flat-footed, but, um, you know, to not even give your best guys a chance to get out there. And they actually said I, – I listened to Rand's interview uh, the other day on another outlet, and he said Faber actually picked that play off earlier in the game. They ran it once before, and he read it. Um, and kind of shut it down. And so, you know, taking advantage of what they gave them to start overtime and, you know, not to take anything away from them. Like I said, they earned it. And, um, you know, I know you and I were chatting on the Thursday night game against Michigan. I mean, they shut Michigan down. They clogged exactly. the center of the ice against Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes, he couldn't do anything, um, you know, almost all night. And um, they just controlled the pace. They controlled the tempo. They're a mature, disciplined team that plays with a lot of structure. Um, I think they only had three teenagers on that team that played any type of meaningful role. Their goalie was really good, just a top-to-bottom solid team. And it's great to see uh, a smaller school win it, right? It's fun. It's yeah. good for the parity in the team and school with a different approach. I think that staff's – Rand's been there since the start. And, 
Um, it was a hell of a, a hell of a final for sure. Yeah, only three draft picks on the roster, and one of them was their backup goalie, so a guy that didn't play at all. Um, and so, yeah, so, I mean, pretty incredible. And also, as you mentioned, you know, they had seven fifth-year seniors on that team. Now, I know that people say that and they see that, and they're like, whoa, what, what is that about? You know, because it's an older team. But actually, Quinnipiac, despite having all of that experience, most of those guys were close to true seniors or maybe just a year older than a true senior um, or true fifth years, if you will. Um, the COVID eligibility allowed those guys to come get back. Guys like Zach Metza, who had a chance to sign a pro contract after last season, decided to come back. You know, he actually went and got his master's while he was at it. You know, so he was he was able to do that as well. And even with all of that experience, Quinnipiac was still like 20th or something in in the country in terms of average age. So you know, while while they were old, they were not that much older than your average college team. I know there's a lot of debate about you know building a team with young true college players but going back to the beginning of of college hockey i mean not not maybe not the beginning but more recent years and everything else and in, in, in the modern era you have to play junior hockey most guys are not entering college as a true freshman that's just the way it works and so teams like quinnipiac will build their roster with guys with more junior experience guys that have been in other programs they did you know they were led in scoring by a transfer colin graf came from union after union made a coaching change um, and so he comes in and he has a, a remarkable season. Sounds like he's going to sign a professional contract here in the coming days. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really in, incredible thing. And, and good call out by you as well in terms of, you know, Minnesota didn't have Logan Cooley, Matt Nyes, Jimmy Snuggerud out there. Now, that Jackson Nelson line that they did start, that was the line they kind of started periods with. That was kind of like their 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 group that they felt set the, set the tone. Um, but you know, Brock Faber not being out there. Jackson Lacombe had a fantastic game defensively, but that faceoff play completely flustered everybody on the ice. They were all behind it, and they were, you know, it, it ends up going in the back of the net. So good call by yeah, you that on that one. Pass. That was a great pass by Sam Lipkin, too. That's a tough pass to yeah. make on your back. It, it is, and it was on the backhand, and and as you look at it too, as a, as you watch the replay and you see Sam Lipkin kind of, he had to get everything on that backhand to get it to uh, uh to Quillen at the at the exact right time, and he just he cut it off, came across, and then scored the goal, and it just remarkable play all the way around. And yes, credit to Joe Dume for drawing it up. I you know I saw some people say, well, like, yeah, they, they run fa- every team runs faceoff plays. It's like, yes, but this was a specific design play Not like for that. the start of a period. Yeah. Or and, and and the idea was, hey, we 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 can end it right here. And they did. Um worked it to perfection. Um, you know, as a result uh we'll talk a little bit about Michigan too. I think that Michigan showed against Quinnipiac as that game went on you know, Luke Hughes was trying to do the thing where he was going through everybody in the middle. And then he, he, he realized to his credit, he realized that wasn't going to work for real long um, because they were so good at clogging up the middle. And then they tried to move players to the outside. They tried to get guys to the outside, which, which would have worked, you know, well had uh, you know, had, had, but, but you can never, if you can get back into the middle, but I mean, you know, the way Quinnipiac played, I mean, just the defensive structure. And I, I think that shows to a lot of people. Yes. We love offense. We love skill there's still a way to play winning hockey with defensive structure. Yeah, that's like I said before, that's a structured and, and really mature team, right? And we, we said there's a difference between old and, you know, playing with experience. And they're not the, you know, Mankato's of the world with a bunch of 25 and 26-year-olds, but 
those guys just came out and, and they're coachable and they believe and they buy in and they played that way. Right. And I didn't see yeah. them, you know, a ton during the regular season. I'm sure they played pretty similar, but you know, whatever they did for those two games, it worked. And, you know, as you and I were chatting about yesterday, it's kind of funny. When was the last time a national champion didn't play for their own conference championship? Right. They lost to Colgate and double OT in the semifinals in Lake Placid. And, you know, in Rand's interview the other day, he said, Hey, we needed that. Right. They were kind of yeah. getting sick of me. It gave us a chance to, to regroup and, you know, credit to them for going in as a huge underdog twice, um, you know, and, and walking out of there with the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the, the, the strength of schedule for, for QU this season and, you know, it was, it was good. It wasn't, it wasn't amazing. They were kind of a middle of the pack team. You know, they, they, so they didn't have necessarily the adversity that you would want to face over the course of a season um, you know, only losing four times, you know, just kind of a just an ins- absurd number in, in the modern college hockey, regardless of what conference you're in. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you have to give a ton of credit to that program for what they've built and, and all those guys that decided to come back. And the interesting thing is now is so many of these players that that did get that either the extra covid year, they're gone. You know, there are guys like Sam Lipkin, um, you know, uh, Colin Graff, who I mentioned, Yaniv Peretz, the goaltender, could potentially all turn pro. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, well, where does that leave this program? Um, and they have gotten some some key recruits in, in recent years, but it's still not the place where you're going to find a lot of high-end draft picks, elite players. So they're going to have to run it back now with, uh, you know, with with essentially a, a very new group with, with an, almost an entirely rebuilt core. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be very fascinated to see exactly what happens there also huge shout out to Quillen on the celebration uh through that stick about five to ten rows into the into the crowd awesome. i don't know if he meant to do it um i am told by eyewitnesses that a michigan fan was seen leaving the arena with the stick so hopefully he gets it back but uh scoring the biggest goal in program history that is the first national championship ever in any sport for quinnipiac, quinnipiac. so that's yeah, awesome. so pretty pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, do want to talk a little bit about the Hobie Baker as well. Adam Fantilli wins the Hobie Baker, only the third freshman in history to win it. Um, and Fantilli, of course, NHL draft eligible. Maddie, you've been you've seen this kid for, for a long time, going back to his Kimball Union days, even before that when he was in Canada. Um, you know, when you were still scouting uh the 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 youth ranks and everything else. I mean this is a guy that's come into college hockey. He dominated, you know, led the nation in scoring. There was a little bit of the the funny kind of debate about, you know, well, well, what about the character of the player? Um, you know, which which in the end didn't amount to much. And also, you know, to say that you know the character of the player, and all you have to go off of is the fact that he had a fighting major and a and a right, and another like you know, high, a high hit. You know, like, you know, it's funny. We've had this debate about showing emotion and being emotional in competition. I mean, I'm all for it. Uh, so, you know, do do what you will. But Adam Fantilli wins the Hobie Baker. And, and thankfully, <laughs> you know, the way the way things were going, um, you just kind of wondered if that decision would be made. Because we saw last year, you know, Devin Levi does not get the Hobie Baker despite having a historic season. Um but here, you know, I feel like the committee got it right. And I think that Adam Fantilli is, is going to have a great career. The next question now, after leading Michigan, I, I put this to you. I'm going to ask you this straight up. If you're Adam Fantilli, you got, you know, you're going to get picked second overall. 
are you going straight to the NHL or do you go back to Michigan and try to chase another national championship? I think you're going. Um, He played down here as an underage in prep, as you said, at Kimball Union. Then he went to the USHL as a tender in Chicago, played with his brother there, played with his brother at Michigan. Um, You know, like you said, runaway winner for me. He's a star player, right? And he's going to be as good of a consolation prize at number two as you're going to find, right? Kind of like in the Eichel draft. Um, You know, hey, you're bummed. You're disappointed not to win the lottery, but you're going to get a kid like this who's an instant, you know, organization changer to the positive. And um, he's just a just a tremendous player. I think, you know, if you talk to scouts around the league, people will beat up on his hockey sense a little bit. No one's perfect and you have to find a flaw. No one has, you know, 10 out of 10. And some would say maybe, you know, the processor needs to improve a little bit to play at that consi- that level consistently in the NHL. But the physical tools are there. Um, I just don't know what else he has left to accomplish by staying at Michigan. Um, you know, I think part of it will depend on who is second in the lottery, right? Things can change pretty right. quickly there. Um, you know, you see a lot of times guys want to play with their brother and their sibling. Well, he's done that for three years, right? So right. I'd imagine he'll go to the world championships in the spring. I'd be surprised if he didn't, unless he doesn't want to. He's played a lot of hockey in the last 12 months. Um but, you know, I just don't see a world where he's back. Um, you know, sorry, Michigan fans, but it's time for him <laughs> to move on and continue his development. And, you know, it's interesting you said what you said about the Hobie and you started to see a lot of chatter on the Internet about, you know, the character and this and that and guys look and see 70 penalty minutes or whatever it was. And I heard an interesting uh, interview. Ryan Whitney from Spittin' Chicklets was talking to someone about, you know, they, they were asking him, oh, when you play in the NHL, and he said, look, this league right now is not what I played in. This game is so different. The speed is different. You know, everything changes and the game evolves, right? If if Adam with his physical tools at 6'2 or 3 and almost 200 pounds wasn't playing with any energy or physicality or tenacity, people would call him soft, right? Right. And so the game has changed in a sense where, you know, if you carry yourself that way and play that style, you're, you have to, you know, kind of have that edge and have that chip. And that makes you the best player. Right. That's to me, that's a positive trait. He's not getting a 10 in a game for nothing. He's standing up for someone. Right. And inserting himself right. with his tools. So, and, you know, yeah, yeah standing up for himself, that, even, you know, everybody. hundred percent. Right. And so yeah, the game has yeah. changed the, you know, it's just a different, it's just a different era. And it's, you know, it's not about the character of someone most people will never talk to in their lives. He's the best player and the most impactful. And to me, it was a no brainer. Yeah, no, a no brainer. And now, you know, the, the interesting thing, the one thing I'll say is, you know, we, we have a feature up on Adam uh, on Flow Hockey. I did ask him the question, you know, what's what do you think about next season? What is the plan for you? And, and you know, he didn't want to get into that too much aside to say it's going to de- kind of depend on what team drafts him, what their you know current situation is. He's followed a very, very, very similar path to Owen Power. Um, who plays a different position, obviously went number one overall, but Owen did decide to go back. And I think part of that was because, you know, Buffalo, I think was more than happy to let him go back to Michigan to continue his development a little bit, but also because they weren't quite ready. And now that he goes in this year and they have 40 wins this season, yes, they missed the playoffs again for whatever the 12th or 13th straight year, 14th, whatever it is, but they were a competitive team. And Owen Power legitimately, very quietly, has had the kind of season that, you know, kind of profiles like a, a Calder winner. Now, he's probably going to get beat out by his former Michigan teammate, Matty Beneers, but 
you know, that's, that's the thing is so, and I think in Adam Fantilli's case, his, his path now look, resembles more of Jack Eichel's where he was a dominant college player actually outproduced Eichel on a points per game basis than the year that Eichel had his 71 points as a freshman. Um, so Fantilli actually had the most points per game uh, for a draft eligible player since Paul Correa. Um, so that's kind of an, uh, you know, whenever you say the Paul Correa, you know, you, you know, you get, people like me who get all nostalgic and get a little bit of flutters in the, in heart palpitations over the mention of Paul Correa. Um, that's, that's where, you know, he's, he's basically in that, in that category. So, you know, I think to your point as well, the, the way the game is now, the way the game is, is going, um, you still need speed skill, but if you, if you have the guy that also adds that snarl, that physical element, that, you know, kind of emotion in his game that Adam Fantilli plays with, you've got a rare commodity and that's why he is going to go very high and, and why, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he'll have that Hobie Baker on his resume as well, because you, know, you look at the Hobie over the years, it wasn't a great indicator of, of pro success, but more recently it, it it's starting to be, you know, you Kale McCarr, Johnny Goudreau, uh, you know, it, uh, Jack Eichel, you know, these are, these are players that are, are going to be, major impacts uh impact players in the game and, and the Hobie's not supposed to go to the best prospect no question but you know that it, it is kind of nice that the legacy kind of grows as these guys move on all right and speaking of moving on we're going to move on and I wanted to get to some of the pro signings um if you haven't seen them yet we're still waiting on a couple uh, that I think will come through but professional signing signings that we're looking at right here Matt Nyes already in the, the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup. I want to talk about him because, Maddie, I remember the conversations we had about him in his draft year. Jackson Lacombe, uh, Brock Faber. Faber led the Wild in ice time in his NHL debut. Drew Camesso just signed with the Chicago Blackhawks, the goaltender from Boston University. Um, you know, I think we'll have a couple of free agents signed. We mentioned Colin Graff, Yaniv Peretz. Um, you know, there's the possibility of Jackson Nelson from Minnesota, who has had pro interest going back to his sophomore season. Um, you know, other other guys like that. But I wanted to talk quickly about Matt Nyes. Um, obviously, Toronto Maple Leafs fans are ecstatic about him. He is coming in, you know, has played some games with the, the Leafs. My question to you, Maddie, and, and I also want to bring up and let you toot your own horn a little bit about how we talked about him in his draft year. But, uh, but you know, before we get to that, what level of expectations should Toronto Maple Leafs have, Maple Leafs fans have about what Matt Nyes ultimately can bring to the table at this stage of the season? And if he does even get into the lineup for the playoffs. Yeah, he's, um, I think he played his second game last night. Um, if you listen to any of the radio or podcasts coming out of Toronto, he's the second coming of Austin Matthews and he's all they've been waiting for to win that elusive first round. Right. And, yeah. Um, which is just insane pressure and unnecessary elevation of expectations for a player who's really not that, right? Um, right. You know, late, late second rounder in the NHL draft, uh, two great years at Minnesota, kind of crept up on people, putting himself on the world junior radar in Tri-City. Um, you know, has improved every year. He's got a pro body already, Um I think, again, people might question the smarts and the hockey sense. Can he really be a first power play, you know, 20-minute-a-night right. contributor for an elite team? Toronto's got it all up front, right? You know, you're going to slide into that top six. Who are you taking out? Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely not fair to him to come in after two years. Everyone was waiting on this sweepstakes. Last year, are we going to get him? Are we going to get him? 
And, you know, no more ink needs to be spilled on the, the hurdle that that organization needs to clear this year in the first round. And it's impossible to put, you know, that on the backs of a 21-year-old kid or however old he is right out of college. But um, I thought in his first game, he played pretty well, right? He's got a big wingspan. Yeah. He protects the puck really well across, along the wall. He can move. He's not intimidated, you know, easily. But, uh, you know, again, it's the end of the season and um, something would have to go wrong, I think, or they would need to inject a different element into the lineup for him to see, um, you know, the game sheet in the playoffs. But, right. you know, crazier, thing, crazier things have happened and he's still a fabulous player and he's going to play in the NHL for a long time. Kind of crazy the, the cap issues that they ran into just to get him signed, right, with the injuries and right. then choosing, you know, not, not being able to use – um, you know, long-term IR, or having to use long-term IR, and, you know, maybe not being able to get him into the lineup. But, um, you know, again, you know, happy for the kid. You know, it was a, a part of a staff that drafted him in the USHL Futures Draft a whole bunch of years ago, and all he's done is get better at every step of the uh, of the path. And um, cool to see him play in the NHL. I think he got his first point last night, too, against Tampa. So, Yeah, yeah, getting an assist, and uh, I think Ryan O'Reilly was the goal scorer, so that's a pretty cool thing. And and the one thing I'll say about Matt Nyes, uh, and before I I get into why I I trust your judgment on him, aside from, you know, drafting him into the USHL, um, you know, the the thing that we saw immediately in his game is his ability to work the wall, his ability to to, to extend plays off the wall, uh, the quickness of his hands on top of having that frame that protects the puck, he made so many plays in or like right at the net front. Um, good decisions with the puck, whether it was you know the quick move here and there, you know, and and that's in in that way he reminds me a little more of the Corey Perry than an Austin Matthews, you know, where he's so good in those tight spaces, has the quick hands, you know, has the size, is able to protect pucks really well. Um, but that's the other thing, and, and you know, I saw a lot of people drawing Chris Kreider comparisons in terms of Kreider basically jumping from Boston College in a national championship lineup going to the Rangers. And then in that, in his 18 playoff games that year, he scored five goals and had seven points. I don't think that's what you're going to get from Matt Nyes, not because he's not capable, but more because the Leafs are in a position. They don't need that. Right. Exactly. I mean, will he help if you need, if you're, you're getting pushed around and you're, you need a guy in your third, fourth line that can pop in a goal maybe, I could see it, but it's not, it's not like the level, you know, Chris Kreider gallops like a horse down the ice too. You know, that's not what you're getting on, on a Matt Nyes. And, um, but just temper expectations. The other thing that's important to bring up, you know, Minnesota had 21 goals, I believe in the, uh, in the NCAA tournament. And he was part of one of them, um, which is, that's not to say like, sometimes that's bad luck. You know, it's not that he wasn't impacting games. He was, but you know, this is a guy that was a Hobie Baker finalist and, and didn't have an, as much of an impact at the toughest time of the season, at least on the score sheet. Uh, but you and I both think this is a very good player that is going to be a very good NHL player that is on the way up. No, no doubt. And I think in a redraft, he's a first round pick. Um, oh, a hundred percent. Very easy. When, yeah. When, when time is told. And um, again, I, I just think that he, you know, it's unfair to what he's walking into, you know, media wise, but that's Toronto. And he's, as you and I've said before, he's not their best prospect. He's their only prospect. Right. <laughs> and they chose, they chose Pretty to much, hold yeah. on to him. They chose to hold on to him uh, this year and last rather than, you know, dishing him out versus picks to go get another piece. Right. And so there's yeah, a lot, very important. On, there's a lot riding on him. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, you know, he wasn't going to be a first rounder in a redraft for you because you told me from the very beginning of his draft season, you have to have this kid in your first round. Now, I ended up ranking him about 50th because it turns out every time I don't listen to Matt on certain things, I tend to be wrong. And then he gets to, you know, do a little bit of a dance around that as well. He doesn't, I mean, I've seen your dancing shoes. So, um, but. But this is a guy that, that you know, I think Maddie Maddie Nyes is is going to be a very good player. It's just a matter of it tempering expectations. And um, you know, the other things that are kind of coming out now uh in terms of of signings and and we're we're gonna there are a couple we have a couple of questions about signings later. So I'm gonna hold on uh some of those guys because we do want to talk about Ryan Johnson, a couple others. You know, Logan Cooley has not yet signed with Arizona. We believe that'll you know, the decision whether or not he 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 goes or stays. Um, is kind of up in the air. He finished right behind Adam Fantilli in scoring and presumably in the Hobie Baker voting as well. Uh, we don't get the final votes, but I'd, I'd assume he was the runner-up uh, to Fantilli in this particular situation. But, you know, number three overall go. pick. And, and that's, no you know, and now the question I have for you, Matt, yes, he. Sh- I, I, I think you're right. But at the same time, I also look at the situation that he's going into. Um, and it has nothing to do with the arena. It has nothing to do with, you know, that kind of thing. Cause I don't think that really matters as much to these younger players. They just want to be in the NHL. But what I would say is that, you know, is Arizona in a place where they are going to put him in the best situation to succeed? We saw them bring Barrett Hayton up way too early. We saw them bring in Victor Soderstrom too early. Like this, and this is a different regime. This is a different uh, management group. Uh, and maybe they have a plan in place, but, do you feel like Arizona is going to be able to provide the situation for Logan Cooley to reach his full potential in the early stages of his career? Yeah, I think they are, um, you know, and, and the rink aside and the situation aside, you know, again, he doesn't have anything else to prove. He His game is what it's going to be at the right. NHL level. He's a dynamic, hyper-skilled player. Um going into an organization that really doesn't have much of that. Clayton Keller had an amazing year, um, and he's an amazing player too, off the heels of a really vicious injury. I think he was – was he the yeah. one that banged up his femur last year? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, he broke it in two places. He, I yeah. mean, he was – there, yeah. there, was, there was talk that his career was done. His, uh, like, he was going to no retire. Joke. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. It, like, I remember when the initial thing came out, and I was just like – I felt sick to my stomach because – this is a player that I've been following for a really long time and have seen. And then, yeah, but Clayton Keller. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, it's a slight, it's a slight tangent, but you know, he's, he's on the Masterton ballot this year. And I have, I, you know, I think it's probably between him and Chris Letang at this point on who's going to win that. But yeah, but I mean, you know, and and honestly though, I think Clayton Keller is such a tremendous guy for Logan Cooley to learn from because they're so similar in terms of their, you know, their development, where the, the path that they've taken, you know, Keller was a one and done at BU um, so may, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the other thing, but like, the I one I thing think, I, I don't think, I don't think Cooley has anything else to prove in college. They're not going to be nearly what they were last year. Right. From just, you know, from all the guys yeah. that they've lost, I know Root's coming back, that's but the, you know, yeah, put him under your development, watch, let him cook there, play with pros. Um, you know, that Michelli's coming along. They have some yeah. pieces. They had a really good draft. They have drafted a lot of players. The last two years, um, 
you know, I don't, I'm not in their meetings in their room. I have no idea what their plan for bringing these guys in and how they want to stack them in. Right. And most teams are cognizant about burning a year of an entry level too early. Well, this is a team that's going to struggle to get to the cap floor. What a bunch of those LTIR guys they have kind of roll out of right. there. Um, right. So they're not worried about having to pay, um, you know, and if I'm him, I'm going from one college campus to another, you know, what is there, what is there to lose? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Know, one campus to another. Yeah. The one, th the one yeah, thing I yeah. will say about, yeah, the one thing I will say about Cooley and, and, and why this is decision is at least a tiny bit complicated. Um, I agree. You know, he doesn't have as much to prove. Jimmy Snuggerud is going back. Uh, as far as we know, Jimmy Snuggerud was the first round pick of St. Louis. So he would have at least one of his line mates still there. The other thing about um, Logan Cooley that I think still needs to be sorted out is, you know, defensively, he's gotten better. He still has a ways to go there. The other thing, too, is he can get a little bit too above his skis a little bit in terms of how he carries pucks into the offensive zone. A lot of stuff through the middle, a lot of stuff that will just simply not work in the NHL. Um, I think you know, that's going that that to get better in an NHL development system than it will in college. Uh, yeah, yeah, and make, that may be that may be so. Like, I, yeah, I think I think you know I could really go either way with him. Like, I I think that I have no problem. He's such a he's such a good player. He's the guy I had number one on my board last year. That hasn't changed. Like that that has not changed from my my opinion about who the best player of that draft is and will be. Um, I think it's him. Uh, and the question that I have is, you know, is such. So much of a prospect's success at the NHL level is predicated on the situation they're in. Matty Beniers no went into a, in a into a situation where he spent an extra year in school, arrived ready to to make an impact with the uh, with the Kraken. You know, I think Logan Cooley potentially could make an impact. Do I think it'd be you know will he be competing for the Calder next year if he comes out? I don't think so. Uh, not in that situation, and not not at, at his level of development at this point. But I do think long term he looks really good. So uh, we'll we'll move on from that one. But we, you know there are a couple of guys that that are going to be staying. I mentioned Jimmy Snuggeru. The other one I want to talk to you about is Lane Hudson. Lane Hudson, who you and I have both followed for a long time, and I know that you you were the first one that told me about this player when they went to the Youth Olympics as as fifteen year olds. This is the the pre U seventeen thing, and you said watch this guy, and I couldn't take my eyes off of this little jitterbug out there. Um, this year he had. The third most productive season ever by a defenseman age 18 or younger in the NCAA surpassed Brian Leach, surpassed Adam Fox, surpassed Kale McCarr, surpassed Quinn Hughes, like vastly surpassed those guys at the same age as they were in college. And yet, you know, he's listed now at 5'10", generously, um, and also, you know, still has a ways to go on the weight front. However as dynamic as any player you'll see. So he's going back to Boston University next year. They're going to have a tremendous team. We're going to talk about their big recruit a little bit later. Um, but I'll tell you what, Maddie. I mean, Lane Hudson has surpassed the hype for us. Now, he was a second-round draft pick, so maybe <laughs> that that's that's the difference. But, you know, based on what you've seen from him and his development, you know, what do you think about Lane Hudson and where, you know, the next steps and, and kind of, how far away he is even. Yeah, what I loved about Lane, uh, watching him play, he played his midget hockey, uh, despite being from Illinois, he played his midget hockey here in the mid-Atlantic. He played for the Jersey Avalanche, who were uh, at the time, you know, one of the premier U16 programs in the country. 
they've taken that up to the Long Island Gulls, who just won a national championship, uh, which is awesome for hockey in the area. Uh, so congrats to them. But um, what I loved about Lane right away was that you saw this five foot five kid at 15 years old um, who was just a mean piece of business, right? He was physical. He had edge to his game. He was chippy. He wasn't afraid of anyone or any situation on the ice. And um, at the time I was scouting in the OHL and, you know, it's hard to get those kids to, you know, walk away from the program before they have the opportunity to say yes or no to it. Um, and it's, it's really suited for the right kid. And I kept saying it to our group, this kid is the right kid. He plays a mean style. He's got all the skill in the world. He, you know, as it relates to OHLD, he compared to Ryan Ellis, who we had in Windsor at the same age, just all the skill in the world, all the confidence in the world, but not afraid of anyone would insert himself physically. He'd get blown up to make the right play. Um, and was just a lot of fun to watch. Um, he's got a big family. His brother plays at BU. His younger brother is at the program now on the U17 team. Um, you know, one of the things that struck me uh, over the summer when the NHL draft was all said and done, you know, I love when these teams release kind of like their behind the scenes videos of their scouting meetings and combines and things like that. And, um, yeah. you know, they were debating Hudson in the room in Montreal and Eric Crawford, who's their director of pro scouting or player development, one of the two, had just an amazing little riff. It was like 30 seconds. He said, you know, for what you're describing to me, what this kid does, you know, in the NHL, there are very few. In our prospect pool, there are zero, right? Yeah. And in our farm system, there is nothing. And so if you're telling me that this kid can do all of this, control the power play, move pucks with his feet, um, you know, kind of be that dynamic game breaker. And you're talking about him at 63 or 62, wherever he went, it's a no brainer. And so, yeah. um, you know, they gave him the keys at BU uh, and he had an amazing season statistically, like you said, but I don't think there is any rush to bring him up. Montreal's a different animal than Cooley going to Phoenix. Right. Um, right and he's right. on the back end. That team's got a long ways to go just like Phoenix does in a new, uh, in a new management group and all that stuff. And, you know, he needs to get stronger. He's a, he's not five ten. He's a tiny, tiny right. kid. And again, it's never, it's never, no one's ever told him he's not six three, two hundred and twenty 220 pounds. Right. right. Um, so that's, it's not, <laughs> at the end of the day, but he can use the college schedule and that development timeline just to get stronger. Uh, and he's going to be a hell of a player when the time is right. Um, but he's one that I would agree with, you know, going back to school, um, right? And the, just the, kind of yeah, the guy. yeah, yeah. The thing that he needs isn't isn't anything that he has control over at this point. He's dynamic. No. He's smart. He's competitive. He does all those things well. The only thing in his development that needs to happen right now is time, time to get mm -hmm. stronger, time to get you know bigger. Um, he looks like he is a bit of a late bloomer in terms of growth. Do I? I, you know, if he's lucky, he will get to that 5'10 range, which is, you know, Quinn Hughes range, 5'11-ish rate, you know, somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, I, I've thought about the dynamic offensive defensemen that we've seen over the years, guys like Ryan Murphy, Joey Hicketts, guys that, that, are, that were undersized but incredibly dynamic. And the major separating factor between Lane Hudson and those players that didn't necessarily make much of an NHL impact is that competitive drive that he has the 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 want to to play a defensive style of hockey the want to be a good defensive player um 
you know, there is not, he is not someone that simply throws away his defensive responsibilities. Yes, he can make plays down by the goal line, the opposite goal line all day, but he is always back and he is always committed. And so, and I know, um, I know I threw out a comp earlier to Ryan Ellis and, you know, in that same like two way kind of tenacious commitment. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you remember that crazy Jordan Eberly goal at the World Juniors in Ottawa to tie the game against Russia with like five seconds left, that play only got kept alive because Ryan Ellis kept a puck in with his face mask on the wall. Yep. On yep. a clearing. Yep. Legit, it went off yep. the page, I think, with like 15 seconds left, right? And it's that, you know, kind of give it at all costs, no matter what. And, you know, yeah. to me, watching Lane for as long as I have, he's got it. Right. He's got it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Right place at the right time. He's always seems to be there. And I, I think that. You know, Lane Hudson is a special a prospect just because of his uniqueness uh, more than anything else. Uh, so just just a tremendous player. All right. Well, we're going to move on to another kind of this is this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, an interesting situation here. Um, we, we have a question about Ryan Johnson, who's actually in this in a, in a very similar situation. Um, we'll, we'll get to that um, a little bit later. But this next one is, you know, Jay O'Brien. Um, it does not sound like you know, there are reports that, that Philadelphia is not going to sign him. He's a first-round draft pick. They will receive a compensatory second-rounder, so an extra pick that comes in. And uh, that that just gets added to you, – you pick basically 32 spots after that pick would have been. Um, next and year. So, yeah, next year. Um, so, Jay O'Brien, you know, went, started at Providence, took a year – played in Penticton, finished his career at BU um, as a fifth year this year. Um, and now that, you know, it seems like Philly is, is moving on. And, and oftentimes the decision and that is what is more valuable to us, an extra draft pick or this player. And they're obviously going the draft pick, draft pick range. Yeah, he um, in a that's pick has never, will never, and doesn't make sense to me. Um you know, as a, as a 19th overall selection, nothing against the kid. Don't really know him. I'm sure he's a, a great kid. But uh, in this was two Flyers management groups ago now, Ron Hextall. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, in, in a group that just drafted abhorrently over their term, right, and set that organization back so many years just with bad pick after bad pick. Uh, this one hurts a lot. Um, K. Andre Miller went two picks after Jay O'Brien in that draft. Yeah. Um, just lighting it up on the blue line for the Rangers. Rasmus Sandin went a few picks after that. And look, it's easy to do that in hindsight. This was their second first rounder. They took Joel Farabee at 14 overall that year, which is a, a pick they got in the Braden Shen trade to St. Louis. Yeah. For, uh, you know, and the rest of that package. But um, so that kind of saves them a little bit. But, you know, Jay O'Brien wasn't even the best player on his Cape Cod Whalers team that year in midget. Um, Aiden McDonough, who went in the seventh round the year after and signed, you know, with Vancouver uh, and Jack Rathbone were the studs of, of that team. And, you know, if you played hockey with no puck and just skated in a straight line, he could be first overall. He's a beautiful skater uh, and can really move, but that's not how the game is played and tough one, right? It's just a tough pick and, you know, a lot of pressure right. probably on him to live up to that. And, you know, the first stop in college was bumpy and, um, you know, just based on, you know, where Philadelphia is in their development curve, um, leaning on younger guys. You saw them trade away a few prospects at the deadline for nothing uh, as well. They're in a full rebuild. I, um, 
I know there's a bunch more coming in the next, you know, little while in terms of roster shuffle there. And he's just not in their plans. And so, you know, move on, right. take the pick and let him get a first start somewhere else. And it's no, you know, I'm sure he's relieved of it too, right? So just okay, go. Yeah, now he's a go, let me yeah, now he's a free agent. He can test it out. Exactly. You know, I and honestly, you know, if I if I were a team, you know, I I don't know that necessarily I'd have an NHL contract for him. Um, you know, I, I would probably try to find an AHL situation. I I'm sure that given that there will be some amount of market for him, that he'll be able to um you know, to potentially get an NHL contract um, on an ELC. But, you know, like that's, you know, he's 23 years old. He had his best college season this year. Um, he, he finally looked more like that prospect. But at, at 23 years old, it's a lot harder to, to justify the upside at this point. Um, well, you should do that. Or to, you should do yeah, that at 23 years Right, old. exactly. Right. So that's, so that's, a, that's a tough one. That, that's that's a tough one, but it's, it's the way that it, it goes. But um, we're going to very soon get to our Q&A as well, and we have another one. We're going to talk about Ryan Johnson and that one because he's in a similar situation of, of Joe O'Brien. But um, before we get there, I uh, just want to switch gears from college a little bit and go to the junior ranks because uh, Connor Bedard, his season is over. Uh, his season ends in seven games. The Saskatoon Blades end up eliminating the Regina Pats. Connor Bedard had 10 goals, 10 assists for 20 points in seven playoff games. Um, he had four points with his team facing elimination in game six, had one assist in that game seven uh, as Saskatoon was able to take over on home ice. Uh, but as we look back, uh, you know, you're a guy that's followed junior hockey for a long time. I mean, what – McDavid was one thing. You know, we've seen John Tavares had just uh, incredible goal numbers in the OHL. We've had a lot of good players, but there's just something different about Connor Bedard, isn't there, Maddie? Yeah, what he's doing is absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, on a team that never really ever contended or competed to win a championship, uh, which right. makes it all, you know, the more, you know, unbelievable. And, you know, give him a lot of credit. I'm sure I can't even imagine what Cam Loops would have given up for him hosting the Memorial Cup this year, um, yeah. you know, in terms of trade after the World Junior. And he, he didn't want to go anywhere. They made that very clear. And, you know, dragging his team into the playoffs. And they went up 2 nothing against Saskatoon, you know, on the road in the playoffs. Yeah. And no one no one expected that to, to kind of even be a, a close series. And he averaged two and a half points a game this year, which is just out of control. He was unbelievable at the World Junior. Um, and it's hard to avoid, you know, comparisons are, are, are really tough. Um, but it's hard to avoid the comparisons to McDavid just in terms of his pure – like productivity and his flash. Yeah. Um, right. His release is absolutely unbelievable. He'll, he'll be able to beat NHL goalies clean, no problem. Um, you know, again, no prospect is, you know, 10 out of 10 stars. So if you're looking for something, comparing him to McDavid, who's the best player in the world, maybe ever, I don't know if he has that explosive glide and that burst and that next gear the way that no, McDavid yeah, does. No, yeah, definitely watching, not. Yeah. Watching him skate is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, and so – that brings that gives him an ability to blow a game open anytime he's on the ice or touches the puck. I think Bedard, you know, is maybe a gear behind that, which is okay because it's still better than ninety five percent of the NHL, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. let's get that yeah. clear. It's been a criticism, but it's, um, you know, I whoever wins the lottery is going to be absolutely thrilled. There's no package in the world big enough to get him, um, you know, away from that team, and it's uh, it's fun to watch. Um, you oh. know, it, it, watching the World Junior was ju its appointment television, and um, you know a lot of those Western League teams play in huge barns where they tarp off the 
upstairs. He was selling out games, 15,000 seat yeah. arenas on the road, and they're untarping the upper bowl. Um, yeah. And so players like that are great. They're great for the league, right? Um, they, they are. And, they're great you know, for junior having, hockey. Yeah. Haven't worked in a lot of junior hockey markets in, in, in North America. Um, you know, it's definitely the haves and the have nots, and they thrive right. at the gate. And, you know, if, if there's, uh, or it's feast or famine at the gate, and if someone like Connor Bedard is selling 15,000 tickets, right, in a town of 100,000, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And it's, it's, it's yeah. amazing for the game. It's going to be uh, like, how lucky are we as NHL fans above all to be able to watch him? you know, for the next however long, kind of join this elite group of stars. Um, you know, I don't think anything needs to be said about, you know, how he plays the game other than it's just fun to watch. And, like, we're just yeah. it's privileged to watch him. Play. It, it, it really is. And I think that that's something that is so important, his impact um, on the WHL and on, on ticket sales. You know, Saskatoon has an nhl size building, essentially, um, and they managed to sell out, you know, games, games five and seven, and you know, because every I'm sure they've sold out the first two games as well, but you know, just incredible. Do you think he's going to go to world championships? If I were if I were him, I wouldn't. Um, yeah, it's possible. I don't think he's going to go to the under 18s. That is, you know, oh, that wow. is it would be his third trip. I don't think he's going there. Um, he's won, you know, won one gold medal. They got bounced in the quarters last year, despite him being all world as usual. Um, and, and honestly, here's the, and, and the reason that I say that I don't think he should, his season started in August and it does for most players in their draft year. The most players will start in the, uh, you know, the, the Holinka Gretzky will be in August and then it goes through, but the way that the world juniors was set up, you know, they had the rescheduled world juniors. So he started in August. And if you actually put together all of the competitions that he played in this year, WHL regular season playoffs and two world junior championships in the last calendar year or in the last, you know, season season of the year, 78 total games that he played in, 94 goals scored, 100 assists for 194 points, 2.48 points per game. I mean, it's absurd. It is absurd. That, that is cartoonish. I think that his he is going to go down as one of the greatest pre-draft performers ever, and that includes McDavid, that includes Sidney Crosby. But like in terms of what he did this season, and part of it is because he had an – unprecedented summer world juniors on top of it where he was over a point per game there too he he had one of the best draft seasons ever in history um and that is there's just no doubt about it that he's he's one of the best mark your calendars everybody may 8th is the draft lottery one team's fortunes will change forever um on that day so uh do not miss that but also wanted to get it stateside and also on Flow Hockey side of things because you can watch this player every week on Flow Hockey, and that's Macklin Celebrini playing for the Chicago Steel. Maddie, you told me about him a long time ago, and you said, "Here's he, this is the guy. This is the guy that we need to be watching. And I'll tell you what, Macklin Celebrini, he's already set the record for under-17 scoring in – the USHL. Let's keep in mind, this is a 16-year-old player who will remain 16 throughout the rest of this season. He turns 17 in June. He is going to enter Boston University next year as, as an accelerated freshman. His current stat line in the USHL for Chicago is 50 games played, 46 goals, 40 assists, 86 points. Probably one of the best rookies we have ever seen in the NA, in the USHL, Maddie, as somebody that's followed the league for a long time, worked for the Steel for a period of time. 
in <laughs> they they weren't quite this good back then. Uh, uh, but but at the same time, you know, eighty six points in fifty games for a sixteen year old rookie in this league. I, mean, I think we. I think the first steel team I worked for scored forty six goals as a team the first season. So it's unbelievable <laughs> um, to see that, right? But uh, I, um, a, a good friend of mine's son went through the Shattuck program. He's an 06 like Macklin, and um, he plays for the national team now. Johnny Whipple, and um, who should be a, a high pick next year. And you know, so you go and you know watch him a couple times, and you're just drawn to this kid. Who is this? Um, and in terms of, of Macklin and um, Canadian kid, you know, who, who moved down his father, I believe, is a director of sports science or performance for the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. Um, and so found his way to Shattuck St. Mary's was the first overall pick by Everett, I believe, in the Western League, Everett or Seattle, um, Seattle, in the Western Seattle. League, yeah, Seattle. And um, I know they made every push, you know, possible, backed up the Brinks truck to try and get him, you know, to come there from Shattuck and, um, He's, he's a generational talent, man. He's unreal. He was this way at U14. Um, he jumped right to the prep team after. And uh, I've said this to you before. Privately, he's the best, like, North American, um, you know, playing in North American player I've seen live since um, since Austin Matthews, playing in the U.S., yeah. like McDavid not right. included, up in the Marlies. So someone playing midget hockey in the United States, he's as good, if not better, than Austin Matthews was at the same. It's un, it's unbelievable. Um and you know what's funny? He doesn't have that, you know, he doesn't have like, oh, my God, you're drawn to McDavid skating right away. He just does everything incredibly well. He's fluid. He's got unbelievable vision. He's not selfish at all. Um, he can shoot it really well. He's strong for a young kid, too. Very strong, um, yes. That piece you did on flow uh, with him was awesome, and you kind of see those highlights of him early, and he's just, you know, he's 16 taking contact from 19- and 20-year-olds no problem, right? You watch those clips at the fall classic yeah, and, and no one's and teams are going after he has, Yeah. He has pro body control. And, you know, for those of you out there who don't, you know, may not have a huge level of familiarity with the USHL, it is an incredibly difficult league to score goals in. Um, like we had a 16 year old in Chicago um, who won the rookie of the year for the league at 16. I think he scored 26 goals. Um, Robbie Jackson way back when. And and it was yeah. just – it's a different league now than it was then. But offense is hard to find. And I would imagine that this is the best rookie season um, since probably Thomas Vanek um, in terms of dominance oh, and, and pure yeah, production. Easily. Yeah, um, I think it's, it may even surpass that at this point. You know, Yeah, yeah I, I thought he I mean, got to 100. I thought Vanek even got to 100. Um, I, but e no, either way, didn't. I mean, he is a uh, – he's going to go into BU early next year as he should. Like you said, nothing else for him to accomplish in – in the USHL and, you know, I don't know, I don't see a world where he's not the first overall pick. Um, you know, I think there's word coming that he's going to play for the U18s for Canada um, in a couple of weeks here. And I have to wonder if he gets an invite to the world championships as well. Um, you know, it will be interesting to see how he can handle himself there, but uh, he is, uh, he's as good as it gets. He's fun to watch, man. They got a good one. Yeah. 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 And, and to your point too, Thomas Vanek as a rookie was a year older then Celebrini and had 91 points um, and Macklin's yeah. at 86. And so, yeah, so it's, I mean, we're talking, and he, and he we're talking missed, one of the all-time greats. Games, right? And he missed, he the, did didn't yeah. he miss a bunch of times as well. Um, Celt Mac missed some games for the U17 world challenge and a couple of others. So he's not going to get to the full, the full slate of games, right. but um, yeah, but I mean, just, you know, in terms of points per game, he's at, you know, 1.72, which is identical 
to Thomas Vanek, who was a year older. So he's a hundred. Um, he's a hundred point player in a full season, yeah, and at yeah, 16, exactly. He's 16. It's 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 remarkable. So yeah, definitely a name to know. We've talked about him all year on this podcast, and we'll continue to talk about him because it's just silly what he's doing. One last point to bring up that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, earlier uh, last week, history made in the North American Hockey League. Annalise Bergman started for the Janesville Jets in the NHL. Um, first woman to play at the Tier 1 or 2 level in the U.S. Uh, and so just remarkable. Six-foot goaltender going to Cornell next season, going to play for the women's team, probably going to play for the women's national team for years and years and years to come. Um, made 22 saves on 24 shots against in a 2-1 loss. Unfortunately, didn't get the goal support she needed to, to have the win on her resume. But at the same time, you cannot be any, uh, you know, just I watched the whole game. I, it was on hockey TV, which uh, is, is part of Flow Sports. And, um, you know, just being able to watch that game and see, you know, not just that she played so well, but that there were so many young girls in the crowd as well. You know, they, they sold discounted tickets, deeply discounted tickets to women's hockey players that were under the age of 18 and um, allowed them to, to experience that moment. And, you know, uh, it's pretty incredible to see and, and certainly um, all the credit in the world to Annalise and uh, really, really glad that she got that opportunity. But, uh, but Maddie, you know, I, I wanted you to stick around with me for the Q&A because I had mentioned to the readers that we were having an old favorite from the pre-flow days on the pod. And certainly we got some good questions and we're going to start it off with Ryan. And this is this question I've been teasing seemingly for like three segments. But uh, this question is on, uh, will Ryan Johnson sign with Buffalo? Why do they seem to struggle with signing college draftees? Cal Peterson, Eric Portillo, maybe Johnson not known yet. Should there be some compensation for a team like Buffalo that loses players like this seems tilted towards big market teams. Uh, I'm going to let you jump in here in one second. Um, uh, but it does, it is important to point out, yes, this has happened to Buffalo multiple times. Um, and it seems out, but, but you also have to remember that like Matias Samuelson signed no problem. You know, Eichel did sign their event, you know, at one point. Yeah, they've had plenty of players that that have, have not gone that route. Um, Owen Power. Owen Power, yeah, exactly. Whoever, yeah, who's that guy? But, um, but you know, right. I'd say the other thing, too, is one thing that we don't know. We don't know for 100% that Ryan Johnson won't sign. We also don't know for 100% that, the, that Buffalo wants to sign him a hundred percent. We don't know that for sure. Um, the other thing too, is that if Ryan Johnson does not sign, there will be compensation. There was not for Cal Peterson and that, and there was for Eric Portillo because they traded him. He made his intentions known. I'm not going to sign that gave them time to trade him. They got, I believe a third round pick from LA for that. And Portillo ended up signing with LA. Um, so that there, there is some compensation there. Um, Maddie, I don't know if you have any additional Intel on this. Like, I, you know, as far as I know, I think it's still up in the air in terms of what's happening. All we know at this point is that Ryan Johnson is not signed yet with Buffalo. Uh, but you know, I don't know if there's anything else, but any, any thoughts on this, this year topic there, Maddie? Yeah. Buffalo, as you know, from before the season, Buffalo is one of my favorite teams, uh, in the league. I love all their young guys. I love what they're doing there, kind of how they're building it. Um, and what's crazy about this pick is that this came from St. Louis in the Ryan O'Reilly trade the year prior. 
this last selection. Correct. Yes. And when that scouting when that scouting staff met for their mid season meetings in like January, they had the first overall pick in the draft. And then St. Louis goes on that absolute tear, wins the Stanley Cup, and they turned potentially Jack Hughes into Ryan Johnson. Okay. So <laughs> thanks, Blues. Uh, and a Stanley Dylan Cup Cousins, for St. Louis. They took yeah. Dylan Cousins at seven, who's a fabulous player. Great player. Um, but yeah. I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head earlier. You know, to sign someone, there's got to be an offer. There's got to be a two-way street. And, you know, I'm not in that those meetings. I have no clue how they view or value their prospects and their, and their player pool. Um, but you could argue that, you know, no slight to Ryan Johnson, but his game has always been – you know, kind of what it is. I think the pick right after him was Shane Pinto to Ottawa, the first pick in the second round, who's having a yeah. bang up, you know, rookie year. And you know how much I've loved Shane for as long as I have. Um, yep. You know, that was another one I didn't draft listen to you on. That's okay. Um, that <laughs> you were right. They did not draft. They did not draft a dynamic game changing defenseman in Ryan Johnson. He is not that player, and that's okay. Right. Um, right. And so. You know what? Again, maybe they value the maybe they value the pick more, or maybe they put him in a package to another team that that likes him more. But I don't think Buffalo. It's not that they have an inability to sign players. You just rattled off a whole bunch of people that they have. Um, but uh, there's got to be a market for him too. And so right. I have not so, heard one way. I have not heard one way or another. But you know, you can look kind of what they have. You don't. They may not need him. Right. Right. And I here's so here's the other thing. Like yeah, the left side of their D is pretty well set, you know, like they've got Owen power, Rasmus Dahlin, Matias Samuelson for, you know, and, and a couple of those guys can play on either side. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, I think Ryan Johnson could potentially do that as well, but um, just to give you the latest, and this comes from Lance Lazowski of the Buffalo news, um, you know, that the, the, the team and Johnson met over zoom about the possibility of signing a contract, but no decision was made. Um, and I think the one thing that, the, that I'm sure the Sabres are, if they are going to sign him, it's going to probably be, it's, it's, it's probably not a max ELC. They're, they're going to cut corners on different things like that. And that's where the hangups come. You know, what kind of bonuses exist? Where's the signing bonus? What are the performance bonuses? Those are all things that get structured within an entry level contract to try to maximize the value. Now, if I'm Ryan Johnson, I'm saying I, I want to, ma- I'm a first round draft pick. I want a max ELC. Um, and the Sabres might be saying, no, <laughs> you know, they might say that, but, but that's that's the other thing. So it's it, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, but the other thing is too is is I do I do happen to think that Ryan Johnson is worth a late second round pick. Like I think if it was if you were to give me the choice between Ryan Johnson and a late second round pick, I'm going to take the known commodity versus not knowing who's going to be available for me at that pick, um, at that range. But I also think if I'm Ryan Johnson. There should be a market for me. There should be a place that I would be able to get what I'm looking for in a contract, a place that has a clearer path to the NHL. And that's where I think, you know, the, the hang up is. And so, you know, Buffalo at some point here is a victim of their own success in that they've got long-term lockdown defensemen in Owen Power, Rasmus Dahlin, getting two first overall picks on your blue line. Doesn't really happen. Uh, you know, having Matias Samuelson, having guys like Jacob Bryson, different players that have been through you know, the, the system, guys that they know, guys that got them to 40 wins this season, um, you know, where does Ryan Johnson ultimately fit in? So I don't think, like, if if he doesn't sign with Buffalo, the worst thing that happened was a lost first-round pick. 
but you do get some level of compensation. So very interesting nonetheless. Um, all right. Our next question comes from Carter. And Carter asks uh, another college-related question. This one comes from, how might Alex LaFerriere compare to some of the recent college forwards who have made the Kings, like Alex Ayafalo and Blake Lazat? Um, and I'll tell you what, Maddie. I, I mean, I think those are good guys for Alex LaFerriere to continue to model his game after. He is a gritty – he's got some grit to him. He's got some snarl, he's, but he's, he's a scorer, and he, he was a scorer all year at Harvard. Um, but I know that those are two players that you've – kept a close eye on too and I follow and, and Lazat in particular that you know I mean those are the types of players that can help you win at and and not cost a lot of money and I think that's ultimately what Alex Laferriere could be for them as well yeah I agree with you um I love Ix Alafalo um so versatile he's been banged up a little bit the last couple of years you know hasn't been able to stay consistently in the lineup but um you know know that the Kings love him when he is and you know plays really well with Kopitar in, in big minutes. And um, I think LaFerriere is awesome. Uh, I know that when he started in Ontario, right after getting out of school, the coaching staff was like, who's this guy, right? He, he way better than they thought he would be some, you know, late season signing out of the Ivy league kind of, Hey, where'd this come from? And, you know, now he's going to play, you know, on the big club before the playoffs. And you know what the Kings, I think for, the longest time, you know, have haven't had struggled to score goals, right? But they've got a lineup that's built with guys that you know kind of just chip away at you and make it hard to play against. And they win a lot of their games in playoff style, two one three two, right? Um, you know, obviously bias when when Quickie was in there kicking, um, you know, during that run that they had, they only needed to score one or two goals to win a game. But um, you know, I think it's a great signing, and you know, he's going to fit you know perfectly. Uh, and like you said, I think Alex and Blake are two really good comps, um, you know, for him just in terms of, you know, two-way complete yeah. players that uh, make it hard to play against and they can they can put it in the net too. Yeah, and team impact. And, you know, here's here's Alex LaFerrier who had his college time, you know, kind of interrupted and had to go back and play in the USHL because of, of, of COVID. And then, you know, the fact that a lot of those guys that do go to Harvard, they want to stay for that. Sometimes they'll stay for those four years and then you have a little bit of a flight risk situation. Um, not the case for the Kings and they get a good prospect. And I think, you know, in terms of team impact and, you know, his future, that's, those are two players, Lazat and I have followed to kind of say, Hey, if you can get to there, we feel really great about both that prospect and, that, and where we're at. That Harvard, that Harvard team, just as a quick aside, that Harvard team had a bunch of guys that signed that are going to make an impact. Matt Coronado's a player. Uh, yeah. Making his NHL area. debut. Yeah, debut tonight for Calgary that, you know, played for uh, an OHL Cup team I put together all those years ago, just a stud of a kid <laughs> and, and a great player. And I mean, Not a big uh, deal. Henry Thrun signed Henry Thrun signs yeah. in San Jose. That team was that Ivy League. That team was loaded. Loaded and yeah, and and, and now decimated <laughs> because and of decimated, uh, yeah. because they're all gone. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what they have coming in uh, soon. But yeah, certainly Harvard. Yeah. Uh, there, but here's another one that is right up your alley. Um, we've got uh three more for you, and then this one I think is right up your alley. So I'm gonna let you take the point on this, but before you do, I, I did want to add a little bit of uh detail. But um, this one comes from Avco Cup, and uh, the question is, how would Michael Misa compare with the other players who are granted exceptional status? And Maddie, before I let you get into the scouting kind of uh uh, jargon and whatever else you're going to get into. 
one thing to point out, Michael Misa playing for the Saginaw Spirit. Saginaw Spirit will be the first U.S. team in, I believe, 28 or 26 years, something like that, that will host the Memorial Cup next season. Not draft eligible until 2025. This was his exceptional season, his exceptional year uh, at 15. So at 15 years old, in 45 games with the Saginaw Spirit, 22 goals, 34 assists, 56 points. Now, if you he, he missed you know, enough games this year where – you know, he, he he wasn't able to to approach the numbers that, at least the raw numbers, that John Tavares and Shane Wright and Connor McDavid had. However, on a points-per-game basis, 1.24 points per game, Michael Mesa is number one on that list uh, among U16 players in the OHL. So, Maddie, you know, exceptional status, it's always been a, a, a kind of like, uh, it seems like a golden ticket. Hasn't been for every single player, but most. Um, and Michael Misa, the latest, and certainly looks like he's lived, you know, more than lived up to the billing this season. But your thoughts on on him as a prospect? Yeah, he's a really, really good player. Um, and I think, you know, the the misconception with exceptional status is that, you know, it's granted to, you know, hey, this guy is so good at this age and he's definitely going to be an NHL superstar. So you have to give it to him. That's kind of not how it shakes out. And I think if you look at... Um, you know, there was a run there for a bit with Tavares and then Ekblad and McDavid all going first overall in the OHL and then the NHL draft, right, as exceptional status players. And then you have a Joe Valeno, who's a late first rounder, a Sean Day in the OHL who went like the third or fourth round in the NHL draft. So it's not like the the, the anointing that you're going to be a superstar NHL player. It's that your development is better suited on the curve in the Canadian hockey league earlier than going back to play midget. But um, so as it relates to, to Michael Misa, he's a, he's a star player. Um, I wouldn't say he's generational um, and that's no knock right. on him, you know, absolutely at all. But if you're, if you're, you know, kind of evaluated with the company you keep and you look at some of those other names that you just rattled off, you know, he's not McDavid or Tavares up front. Um, doesn't mean he can't be a, a really good NHL impact player, but um you know, there's a player, you know, I would say between him and Higgins on the NTDP, they'll probably duke it out for first overall, you know, in yeah. that class. So he's really, really, really good and very talented and held his own. You know, Saginaw, you're playing in the Western Conference of the OHL at 15 is really hard, really Big hard. Time. And he, yeah. missed a bunch of, he missed a bunch of time, as you said. Um, you know, those players have a target on their back every night. Um, and, you know, he had more than held his own. Um, and he'll probably light it up internationally and he'll light it up for his next two years. That team, Dave Drinkle does a great job there in Saginaw. He's, he's got yeah. big brass ones too. He's not afraid to, to swing. <laughs> yeah, they, and, and he, they do take he swings, gets players, yeah. he gets players and, uh, he does a great job. And so no doubt he's going to absolutely load up next year when they host, um, which will be cool to have it in the States again. And, um, you know, it's, it's a hard process to, you know, to, to host that tournament. Um, but you know, Mises, is an, he's an amazing player. Um, and you know, good on him for forgetting the status and, and taking advantage of it. But, um, yeah, you know, McDavid, he is not. no, no. And I think, and again, like, you know, we have to make sure that when we're, when we're using those measures and I think that's the public tends to use that as like the measuring stick and Bedard was, you know, the first ever for WHL was so reluctant to do it. Uh, and it had to be, you know, a player like Bedard knocking down the door 
to to say, hey, I'm ready. Well, and um, remember they gave it they gave it like hybrid to Savoy, who was a first rounder. They said, oh, you can correct. play 20 yeah. games. Blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so there's there's a lot there, but yeah, that was that was fascinating um, to to see. But yeah, but I think Mesa is going to be a really good player too, and I agree with you. I think you know you look at what James Higgins has done at, at the national team development program this year. He's going to be on the under 18 team. Um, and we're going to talk about the under 18 world championship in next week's podcast, but uh, plenty to plenty to look forward to there. And Michael Misa and certainly a, a high end player. All right. Now this one is more of a, a, a uh, an interesting question, a philosophical question, if you will. And it comes from my good Ooh. pal, uh, Dan, who uh, sent this one in a mutual friend of ours. And I actually would love to hear your perspective on this as well. And Dan asks, um, how did Matthews, very formal, how did Matthews approach to scouting change from when uh, from when he started until he left the hockey ops world? Now, Matt, you were a scout um, at the junior level for, for quite some time. You also did a lot with youth hockey, putting tournament teams together. But now you kind of moved more into your, your, you know, your day job and everything else, but obviously still keep a very close eye on hockey and have a lot of connections. But I'm fascinated to know what from when you started to when you ended uh, changed in terms of your, you know, your approach and your philosophy. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for the question. Um, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, it changes as your role in the organization changes. So when I started, you know, way back when I was an area guy in the USHL, um, you know, for Chicago, and you're just trying to find, you know, the best players to maybe put on the draft board that you hope, uh, your boss or the head scout or general manager listens to and, um, you know, says, hey, maybe this guy out east knows what he's doing and can find players that can play in this league. Um, but as you elevate through an organization and eventually move into a position where you have the decision-making authority on roster construction, um, you learn to appreciate and understand attributes of players that will make them successful at the level you're building the team for. Um you know, a lot of people will look at a USHL draft, for example, in the futures draft, that these are kids that are ready to play junior hockey at 16, 17 years old, and they're taken early, and it's a big deal in the league, rightfully so, makes a big deal about their selection um, and the tender process and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be, you know, high-end NHL players and, you know, in Hobie Baker contention in college. It means that they are, you know, better able to develop at a younger age playing junior hockey. And, you know, that's why, you know, you're kind of putting them in there and you're getting them for a couple of years. And so, you know, anyone can walk into a rink and find the star player, right? My grandma can tell you that Austin Matthews is a superstar, um, you know, when he was playing, you know, for the Arizona Bobcats at 15. But it's hard to go in there, you know, and, you, you know, players are playing at so many different levels. And so it's hard to go in there and watch, you know, 100 and something games a year when you're really digging in and evaluate across levels for a team that maybe has three or four spots open and they're all a role-playing spot, right? Uh, you know, not everyone has dynamic game-changing ability. And if you look at how, you know, just take the organizational philosophy of the Chicago Steel for the last bunch of years when they've won, they're drafting kids in the futures draft that are undersized and hyper-skilled. And they've built their development model, you know, around that versus, you know, maybe an area guy on a team that's not built that way sits there and says, ah, oh, this kid's five foot five, he can't play. Right. And so you're, 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 yeah. you learn to you learn to evaluate a player um, for what he could be two or three years from now versus what he is today. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's a, a long winded way of saying, you know, hey, it, it, the, the philosophy kind of always changes um, or it's always evolving and, and improving. And 
Um, you know, in the USHL, you have players for two years, hopefully. And in the OHL, you have players for four. Right. And, right. you know, we, we were lucky enough when I was in Windsor to have some success uh, in the Memorial Cup as a host. And you look at how that team was built. It was a lot of 19 year olds that had played in the league since they were 16. And that team didn't produce a ton of NHL players. And that's OK. Right. You drafted, you know, what you thought were going to be guys that had utility to, to win a championship. Um, and, you know, yeah. the game winning goal, the game winning goal in the Memorial Cup final was scored by a kid named Aaron Luchuk who was undrafted in the NHL, was, you know, in his final year of OHL eligibility and signed an American League deal after, right? And so, right. you know, hey, the team wasn't loaded with NHL superstars, but mission accomplished for that level. Yeah, very very good point. And I think that that's, you know, yeah, drafting, you, you every every junior team would love to have a, a bunch of NHL prospects on their, on their roster. And certainly it helps from a marketing standpoint. It helps from you know, uh, a recruiting standpoint and everything else. But ultimately, what is the what is the junior team going to be, you know, from ownership? What is what is everybody going to be graded on winning championships? And that's and, you, and, and you that's the and challenge. You, you can't win without you can't win without those star players. Right. But right. The job of a USHL organization is to put propel kids on to Division one college hockey. Right. Right. It's not to put and, and the, the byproduct is the NHL. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. from the outside, you could say, wow, this team, you know, there's no NHL guys coming from this team or that team. Well, that's not the point. Right. Yeah. It's, a, it's a nice to have. Um, and so, you know, as you right. only a fraction kind of, of these guys make it only a fraction, like Correct. it's a very small fraction of players. Yeah. So Correct. that's the thing is once the funnel, the funnel to the NHL. And that's the thing that as I've learned doing this is the funnel is so tight at the top that some of these great, great USHL and, and OHL and, and college players are going to get to the top of that funnel and they're just not going to be able to break through. And that's not a, there's, it's nothing on them. It's just that much more challenging like, to create. There are, so, there, yeah. are, there, are tons, there are tons of examples where, you know, there are guys playing in the NHL now that still have USHL teammates that are still in college. Yeah. Right. Yep, that's a hundred percent. Yep, you know, and those are guys, and those are the guys that are helping the Quinnipiacs of the world win the the national championships. So uh, yeah. that's that's what you get. So uh, we have one more, and this is a little bit more NHL related, but also I think you know in terms of scouting and different things, this is a very challenging player. This thing, this one came uh, anonymously via DM, so I'm not gonna uh, we won't have it up on the screen if you're watching, but I'm just gonna read this this question off, and I thought this was really uh, interesting because this player. Uh, especially after this season, really popped in in a way that, you know, is pretty special. Um, in 2020, a lot of analysts suggested that Tim Stutzla was at least the third best prospect ranked um, for the NHL draft that year. Several, however, did have him lower. How was the industry so far off on a guy who was running away a few short years later as the best guy in the draft? And, and I will say, you, you know, that was the Alexi Lafreniere draft and wire to wire. There wasn't a person you could talk to that was going to say anybody but Alexi Lafreniere was going to be the number one pick. And if they did say it was going to be different, they might have said Quentin Byfield. Nobody said Tim Stutzla. Yet here we are. And from that draft, quite clearly, at this point, at least, you know, it doesn't mean that he will be for forever, but at this point, he's the best player to come out of that draft. He's hands down one. Yeah. You know, I think to your point, Chris, in a redraft, there's no doubt he's one, one, you know, all day long based on his production. Um, and he went to maybe not the best situation in Ottawa, right? That team's been picking high 
for a long time, but all those young kids are coming, you know, together, you know, in the case of uh, Lafreniere, you know, to, like you said, no one was talking to anybody out of taking him first. And I think a lot of that's just because he did it so consistently at a young age. I think he scored 40 as a rookie in Ramuski at like 16 and put himself on the map. Right. And, and, and was the safe bet. And look, he's coming into his own. It's a lot harder to go to the Rangers and as a, you know, 18 year old, the bright lights in Madison square garden. But um, you know, as it relates to, and there's a lot of good players in this first round as I kind of look back on it now and some kids that, you know, Jake Sanderson vaulted up the rankings that year, kind of at every step of the way and moved himself into the top five. Um, you know, but it, it, it's so tough, right? I mean, for, for folks in the media that do what you guys do, you know, so well, and it's, it's so hard and, and you get to the events that you can get to and you're well networked and, you know, you guys have so much conviction in, in your viewings and, you know, you're doing this job without the accountability of being, you know, hey, I can't believe you laid it on the tracks for this guy. Um, and someone that went right behind him did a whole lot better. You're not out of a job if that happens, right? Like you're doing this because you love it and, and you're passionate about it. But I think that, you know, in the in the big scheme of the picture, not everyone does this job the way that, that you do and some of our other friends do, right? And there's a lot of people out there that think that, you know, going to three cities in a month in their car is really humping it and, and grinding, right? And, and that's, you know, that's a week. That's a week for an NHL scout. And it's hard to get a book on these people. And it's hard to get it. It's hard to get it right. And unless someone was over in Mannheim, you know, a director of scouting year round watching this kid play, right? Anyone can go off of a few international viewings. Um, but when you don't see someone live and it's that kind of group think and everyone's kind of got them clustered, it's really hard to step up and, uh, and lay across the tracks for someone like that. So I don't remember where people, you know, had them specifically, but I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, rightfully so, you know, kind of tap dancing that, you know, hey, we were right about this player. Um, but, you know, it, it yeah, it I mean, like, yeah, the thing is, is like, I can say, you know, I had him third that year and I can say, you know, oh, yeah, I had him third. No worries. Uh, but right. I didn't have him first. And he's the best player from the draft right now. And, and certainly like as of right now, you know, you've got Stutzla one in terms of point production of 175 points, you know, and the, and the guy who went first overall is uh, the fourth most productive player from his draft currently with 91 points actually being outproduced by Dawson Mercer at this, uh, at this stage of, right. of his career. And I mean, career. how many, how many people had Jack Quinn going ahead of Marco Rossi and, and Cole Perfetti? And obviously Rossi's, right. you know, COVID is sad and, you know, hopefully he bounces back to form. But I remember when that was Kevin Adams first draft as general manager, I think yeah. in Buffalo yeah. when they announced it was. Jack Quinn, people didn't even think Jack Quinn was the best player on his junior team and he right. went higher than Marco Rossi did, and people were astonished that Perfetti was there falling into Winnipeg's lap at 10, and Jack Quinn had a great season for himself. He lit up the American League, right? And so right. it just goes to show you that, like, hey, you know, there's a lot of consensus in the independent profession, I would argue. Um, but when you get when you get behind the walls, um, there's a lot more variability, it seems like. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in this, in this case, too, like, you know, because – we're, we're still getting, and, and it'll happen this year with like a David Reinbacher who's playing in Switzerland. You know, there's just not a lot of precedent for players of this uh, in the modern era playing in the German elite league in their draft year or the Swiss NLA in their draft year. And so it's hard, you know, I think when we, we, we often look at historical, you know, co comparables and when they're not there, it makes it a little bit harder to project and it, it makes you hedge. I mean, so much of, I mean, Maddie, you, as a scout, how much of drafting is just risk management? You know, saying, saying, hey, we, we think this guy's a guy, 
But, you know, we're not right. going to take the swing on him at one, you know, when when we feel like we have this sure bet in a fully developed, you, you know. You can't get number you, know, one, you can't get number one wrong, right? Right. And no one right. no one that year was going to get fired for taking Lafreniere first overall. Right, right. exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, Maddie, I, I, I love these chats that we have. I mean, we have them off air, but it's certainly fun when we do them on air and I get to uh, bring your 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 expertise to the masses and your and your jocularity as well uh which uh which i certainly appreciate we have a lot of laughs and certainly uh i really appreciate your insight and I, i'll tell you what buddy you have a, a an incredibly high hit rate on suggestions that you you make to me in terms of players and um i like i said i didn't listen to you on shane pinto i didn't listen to you on matt nyes and i regret those decisions so uh you're the best buddy thanks for doing this thanks for having me chris all right so that is matt moran former junior hockey scout and certainly a man about town and and one of my favorites uh, to talk to certainly a good personal friend on top of being a good analysis or analyst for what we're doing here all right so thanks to everybody for asking questions uh we'll get to more next week we're going to certainly talk about the under 18 world championship and do a much more focus for the next several months uh the next focus is going to be on that 2023 nhl draft uh, we've got things like the draft lottery coming up and all of that. So we will get that back into the mix now that the college hockey season is out of the way. Again, don't forget the Kelly Cup playoffs begin uh, next week on Flow Hockey, the ECHL. It's been a fantastic year. The all-rookie team just came out this year. Hank Crone, 105 points, former Northern Michigan, Boston University, and Denver uh, player, also played in the USHL. 105 points this year, the ECHL. A pretty rare feat to get over 100 in the ECHL, and he's one of the all-rookie guys. So watch him with the Allen Americans. Watch the Idaho Steelheads currently uh, could potentially set the all-time wins record is for a single season in the ECHL. It's been a remarkable year all the way through, so don't miss the end of it. Subscribe to Flow Hockey today if you haven't already. Also, the USHL's Clark Cup playoffs coming up, so make sure you get that. And always, always, Please subscribe to this podcast on your podcast app of choice. Leave a kind rating and review. You can also catch us on YouTube and you can catch us on Flow Hockey and the Flow Sports app. So make sure you do that. A lot of great content coming up too. So make sure you stay close to flowhockey.tv. We've got some NHL draft prospect profiles. Adam Fantilli is already out. We're going to have Will Smith and a number of other players from this 2023 draft. So, so much hockey content coming your way on Flow Hockey. We are hoping to have just tremendous coverage of the draft throughout uh, the buildup. We're going to have more rankings. They're all coming. Everything happening there. Mock drafts, it's all happening. So make sure you don't miss it. But that is going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Thanks so much to everybody for joining us. My thanks to Nico for producing. Thanks to Matt Moran for coming on as my guest this week. And thanks to you for listening as always. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.